Let's start over because they're recording this. Welcome to Living Hope. My name is Aaron. I'm the teaching pastor here. <laughs> and we're so glad that you have joined us this morning. Um, they, they put me on a rope this morning, so this is, this is going to be interesting, y'all. Hey, Luke chapter 11, we're starting a new series today called Teach Us to Pray. So Luke chapter 11, if you have a copy of the scriptures, if you want to open up to there, Luke chapter 11, this is a new series, Teach Us to Pray. And if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word, Luke chapter 11, we're going to read verses 1 through 2. If you remember at Living Hope, we always say, we believe the word of God is a big deal, and when we stand, when we initially read it, that's us symbolically placing ourselves under the authority of Scripture this morning. And God's word says this in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. It says, He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Here's our series title. Just as John also taught his disciples, verse 2, and Jesus said to them, Whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. Let's pray. God, we love you. Father, we thank you for your word, and thank you for the, the very things that we were able to sing just a few moments ago, Lord, that, that the merit that we have to stand before you in heaven is all because of Jesus. God, I pray this morning, even in at times when technology doesn't work the way that maybe we wanted it to, Lord, we know that you're still good, and God, we can still worship and praise you, and Lord, we can still proclaim your word. And so, Father, I pray now that you would give us very uh, receptive ears today, God, to be hearers of your word. Lord, we want soft hearts, not just to hear your word, but we want it to change us from the inside out. And so, God, we pray that your spirit would do that very thing. But God, not only that, we want to be men and women Lord, who walk out the truth of the scriptures this morning. So would you help us be obedient doers of the word because of what we've encountered in the scriptures today? It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. What's the most important thing that someone ever taught you? The most important thing that someone ever taught you? I, I was curious this week, and so I got online and I looked up the answer to that question. What's the most important thing that someone ever taught you? And here are a few of my favorites that people mentioned in light of that question. Some people said, don't worry so much about what people think about you. They're not thinking about you as much as you think. Man, that's such a, that, again, that's not Bible, but what a good reminder for us. We get so obsessed with what people think about us. Be, be sure to have some fun in life. This is good. None of us make it out alive anyways. Your education never stops. Always be a learner. A good reputation is more valuable than anything in this world. One more. Get out of your comfort zone as often as possible. You won't regret it. One of my favorite ones, and I don't know if we're allowed to do this in church, but we're going to try this morning, comes from the TV show, The Office. Some of you may be fans of that, some of you won't, but I think this is going to speak to all of us. In the show, The Office, there's a manager, Michael Scott, who has a, his number two guy, Dwight, and he asks Dwight in one of the episodes, he says, Dwight, what is the most inspiring thing I've ever said to you? And Dwight says, don't be an idiot. It changed my life. I love that. I th no joke, I literally think about that quote almost daily as I pastor. Like, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I feel like sometimes the Lord's like, just don't be an idiot. <laughs> then you'll be fine, right? What's the most important thing that someone ever taught you? Over the next few weeks, we're going to spend time here in Luke chapter 11. And we're going to be looking at what I believe 
is one of the most important things that Jesus ever taught his disciples. And by default, it also becomes one of the most important things that Jesus has ever taught us. And it's this simple idea of how to pray. How to pray. About six months ago, if you were with us, we did a a, a short series uh, on prayer. And we called it Listen. And we looked at how God actually specifically answers the prayers of his people. If we're praying... How do we hear the voice of God in responding to our prayers? Well, we're shifting now in this series, Lord, teach us to to pray. We're we're looking at how Jesus instructed his disciples to pray, how he he instructed them in the makeup of Jesus' prayer that he modeled for his disciples. If you're a note taker, this section of scripture is what's commonly known as as the, the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes it's known as the model prayer or the pattern prayer. And this is just Jesus' response to when his disciples came to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. How do we pray? And he gives this, this guide for them to follow, almost like an outline, not a formula. It's not something that's to be repeated over and over and over, like sometimes we've seen it used. Instead, the Lord's prayer for you and for myself and for the disciples is simply a pattern to follow, an outline to guide our prayer times. But before we get into that, let's go back to verse 1, if you have a copy of the scriptures, and look at the situation surrounding this prayer. If you were to turn over to Matthew chapter 6, you would see a very similar prayer that Jesus gave his disciples. Sometimes, and I I didn't realize this until this week, these were not the same instances that Luke and Matthew are describing. We see here in Luke that Luke is just, the disciples come to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, and he gives them this, this pattern of prayer. If you go to Matthew chapter 6, that pattern of prayer was actually found right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. These were two different instances, but they looked very similar as Jesus is sharing a very similar and the same outline of how we should pray. It's interesting with Luke, though. If you were to read through the Gospel of Luke, you would see over and over and over that before Jesus encountered a major event in his life, a major event in his ministry, he would first engage with the Father in prayer. There's an interesting thought for us. What if prayer in the life of the Christian was our first response and not our last resort? I think sometimes that's how I function, and I know many of us could probably do the same thing or do the same thing. Rather than prayer preceding every major decision or every major event in our life, we pray after things have already been messed up and screwed up. Well, we see Jesus modeling this for us in the Gospel of Luke, that before every major interaction, every major event, he would pray. But notice there in verse 1 of Luke chapter 11, Luke says in verse 1 that after Jesus finished praying, his disciples came to him with a request. What was the request? Teach us to pray. Let's read through that verse again. It says, as Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples came to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. It's interesting to me that they waited until he finished praying, which means I think we can come to the conclusion that his disciples in some capacity were standing in proximity to Jesus as he was praying, and they were observing how he prayed. You ever been around somebody that when they pray, you take note of how they pray? There's some people that just have the gift, and they're what we would call an old school Southern Baptist where they're a prayer warrior, that when they pray, you pay attention That's what's going on with Jesus and the disciples here. Something about his way of praying intrigued them, caught their attention, and they realized he had something that they needed. And their request there is urgent. 
You can almost put an exclamation point right there um, in their request after the word Lord. There's an urgency behind it. Lord, Master, instruct us to pray the way that you just prayed to the Father. We want to be able to do the same thing just as you did. It was very common in the first century here for followers of, of rabbis or Jewish teachers for these people to, to want what their rabbis had, to model themselves after the lives of their rabbis. But the more that I've been praying through this the last several weeks, knowing that we were going to study prayer, I've just been asking God myself, Lord, would you teach me to pray through this? How many of you, your prayer life often looks like this in the evening? I often pray in the evening or in the morning. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, it was just such a, a really good day, and I know tomorrow I've got a lot of big things coming up, but I wonder what I'm going to have for breakfast. Um, what did I just watch on TV? And then you, you just go down this rabbit trail of praying, and all of a sudden you're 30 seconds in, and you're thinking about something you're going to be doing three weeks from now, right? I had one preacher one time, he said, that most of us pray like we have ADHD pi r squared. You know, it's ADHD to the, to the ultimate degree. Like, we just struggle to pray. And so I, I, God, God just convicted my heart this week, and he said, Aaron, maybe, maybe our greatest need necessarily isn't how to pray, but just that Christians would pray. <laughs> that we would just pray and attempt to be in relationship with the Father. Because like these disciples, I don't know about you, but I know in my life, I feel like my prayer life is inadequate, and I do desire more. I want to pray more. One quote I read this week said, Prayer is so simple that the smallest child can do it, but so powerful that the mightiest man of God cannot say he has mastered it. Isn't that good? So while we'll see the how-to of prayer the next several weeks here in Luke chapter 11, I've been praying over our church family that we would really hone in on the substance of Jesus' prayer. And we'd start praying the way that Jesus instructed us to. Note in verse number two, let's get into the the scriptures today, Jesus said to them after their request, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy and your kingdom come. It's interesting, this model prayer doesn't start with requests from us to God. This prayer doesn't start with us asking God for anything. That doesn't start until verse three. Instead, this model prayer, and Christians, this is important for us to understand this morning, it starts with God. The foundation of a powerful prayer life does not start with us. It starts with God. God is the foundation of prayer. And three specific things that I want us to look at this morning that Jesus focuses on in this one verse, verse 2. He talks about a relationship with God, the glory of God, and the kingdom of God. And once he gets through those things, then we get to our requests. And this is me thinking out loud this morning. This is stuff I was processing this week. I wonder how my prayers would change if the foundation of my prayers was those three things. Rather than starting with Aaron, I started with God. Would it change what I speak? Would it change the things I request of him? Because prayer is meant to start with God, and it doesn't start with me. So let's look at those three things quickly. If you're a note taker, let's first look at a prayer that starts with a relationship with God. A relationship with God. He starts verse 2. Lord, teach us to pray. And what does Jesus say? Whenever you pray, say, Father. Notice that the model prayer here, so Jesus giving us instruction, pattern for us to follow, it doesn't start with a request, it starts with a relationship. 
Jesus, right out of the gate, starts with this mystery that is the relationship with God that you and I can have. And he's modeling for us the personal nature of God. Did you all know this morning? This is good news. If you don't know Jesus, I'm about to tell you something really cool. That you can have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. My gosh. It's amazing. And Jesus is modeling that for us. That we get to know God personally, ultimately because of what Jesus accomplished On the cross, what does Jesus call God? Father. If you have a hard copy of the scriptures and a pen, I would circle that word, I'd highlight it, I would bookmark that page. He calls him Father. Here's why this is interesting. I've heard this this prayer prayed for, golly, 35 years as I grew up in the local church. But here's why this is so important. Do you know that only outside of a, a handful of occasions, you can count them on less than one hand, Um, that Jesus doesn't refer to God as Father in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus almost every single time refers to God as Father in the Gospels. Why? Because Jesus came to give us what? A personal relationship with God. Because of the ministry, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, we can know God personally. But in the first century Jewish audience to which Jesus, or to which Luke was writing here, this would have been a very foreign concept to them. To the Old Testament Jew, this would have been a very foreign concept because calling God Father in the Old Testament was not common. Do you know throughout the entire Old Testament, so all the books of the Old Testament, do you know how many times that they referred to God as Father in all of those books, all 36 books of the Old Testament? 15. Only 15 times is God referred to as Father. But this will blow your mind. This Man, one of y'all better take your shoe off and take a lap around the room when you hear this. In just the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the life and ministry of Jesus recorded historical account of what Jesus did in the flesh. Do you know how many times that Jesus referred to, or the Gospels referred to God as Father in just four books opposed to 36 books? 165 times. Because of Jesus, we have access to the Father and we can know him personally. The book of John, a hundred of those times occur in the book of John. You know why? Because the book of John is the most relational of all the Gospels. John showed us what it's like to know God intimately, intimately and personally through Jesus Christ. It's amazing to me to think through that. Now, watch this. Oh, I'm, about to throw, I'm about to throw a fit, Pastor Joe. <laughs> What's Jesus showing us? Personal relationship. I love, what, I love how Paul puts this, Romans chapter 8. Think about this, Romans chapter 8, if you read Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, we see over and over that apart from the saving work of Jesus, we're dead in our sin, but you and I have the opportunity, the Bible says, to repent of sin. We no longer have to be dead in our trespasses, but the Spirit of God can come and dwell inside of us. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says that. Check this out. It says, and the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Oh man, that's pretty good. And then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. That's the promise of heaven for us. So this is what it means, that because of what Jesus did on the cross, our relationship with God can change. Do you know before Jesus what your relationship with God looks like? It's a relationship of judgment. But when you repent of sin and you put your faith in Jesus, it moves to a relationship of closeness and personal nature. All because of Jesus. Look how Paul describes it, Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. If you haven't heard this before, I want you to circle the word Abba in your Bible. 
A very rough translation into the English would be this. It's Jesus saying that now we can go to the Father because of what he did, and we can simply say the words, Father, Father. Like we have access to the God of the universe. We don't really have an English word that translates Abba. That's an Aramaic word. It's a word that was meant to express closeness and personal relationship with someone. That you were under God's judgment, and then Jesus invaded your life, and now you can go to the Father and you can call him Abba. Now, in the English, we do have one word that's kind of close, but it doesn't do it justice. It's the word daddy. It's the word daddy. Here's what's interesting to me about that. Um, the word daddy. So at my house, I have two girls. Most of you know that. My house, Saturday mornings, typically I, I'm awake, and then my girls come up after me. They wake up after me, and they, they come down the steps. And typically, when I'm sitting there on the couch and drinking coffee, they'll come down the steps, and I'll greet them with something like this. Typically, I'll say, hey, morning girls, or I call them both babies. I say, hey, morning babies. And they come down the steps, and typically my oldest daughter, she turns 11 this week, so you all need to pray for me about that. My oldest daughter, typically, when I say morning girls or morning babies, she'll typically respond with morning daddy. My youngest, that's a totally different story, though. <laughs> Typically, with my youngest one, I'll be like, hey, morning, babies. My oldest say, morning, daddy. And my youngest one will go, oh, dad, you're so annoying. Just go away. <laughs> so that's fun. <laughs> but it's interesting. And I, again, I think this just helps us capture Abba here. There's two humans on the planet. Seven and a half billion people that walk on the face of the earth right near, right now that have the unique father-child relationship with me to be able to call me daddy. Two humans on the planet that have a unique closeness and relationship with me that nobody else has. They can come to me with requests that they don't go to anybody else with. There's a closeness that we possess that they don't have with anybody else. That's Abba. That because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross... And when we put our faith in him, that we have that kind of access to God. That when you pray to God, it's not just this formulaic have-to thing that we do as Christians, but you now are in relationship with the God of the universe that genuinely cares about you and genuinely cares about your needs. Maybe you've heard this story before of the king of a very large nation who one evening, his son was put, together by, put to bed by his mother. The story goes that the king then left and went into a, a meeting with some of his lead generals. 30 minutes later, that young boy, only four or five years old, got up out of bed. Can I get a witness? Anybody else's kids do that? My gosh, that's like a story of my life. You put your kids to bed at 9 and by 10.30, they're up and about. Anyways, that's a whole other sermon. That little boy got out of bed, and what does he do? He does what every little boy does. He doesn't go back to sleep. He gets up and runs down the hall because that makes logical sense. And the story goes that that little boy ran fast and hard, and he ran right past the guards who were guarding the king's chamber where the king was meeting with his generals. And as he runs right past those guards, one of those guards hollers out to him, you can't go in there. That's where the king is, and the king is meeting. Maybe you've heard this story before, to which that young boy, as he's sprinting down that hallway, he looks over his right shoulder, and he hollers these words to that guard. He said, to you, he's the king, but to me, that's my dad. We have that kind of access. Tim Keller famously put it this way. He said, the only person who dares wake up a king at three in the morning is his child. We have that kind of access. Understand that when we pray, friends, let's let us, let's let us start foundationally with the reason we can pray is because we have access to the Father and relationship with the Father because of Jesus.
Prayer starts with a relationship. Then it flows with two goals, two very specific goals in mind. Point number two, with a goal. Prayer flows with a goal, the glory of God and the expansion of the kingdom. If you read verses three and four, three and four here, you'll see that everything that we request now as followers of Jesus are centered around those two goals, the glory of God and the expansion of the kingdom. Now, wait a second. I thought that the point of prayer was to convince God of the things that I need in my life. Nope. I thought the point of prayer was to get, God, get from like what I want from God. No. I hate to break it to us. This is good theology, by the way. You've all, this should be in a theology book. God's not a genie. He's not waiting up in heaven, waiting for you to rub the lamp so he can do whatever you want him to do. That's not the point of prayer. Why do we pray? We pray to align ourselves with the will of God and to reposition our hearts to focus on two things, the glory of God and the expansion of the kingdom. That's why we pray. Let me show you this. Look at what he says in verse two. Whenever you pray, Father, there's relational, your name be honored as holy. What does that mean? When we pray, Lord, your name be honored as holy, what are the things we should be praying? Typically in scripture, we see over and over that names are associated with, uh, names have meaning and they're associated with reputation. That's really important. We see that in the Old and the New Testament, meaning and reputation, meaning that, that names were given with a purpose in the Bible. For example, let me give you one. John chapter one, there's a guy named Andrew. Andrew starts following after Jesus, became one of Jesus' disciples. He went and got his brother, what was his brother's name? You all remember? Some of y'all need to watch The Chosen, apparently, I guess. I don't know. All right, so Andrew gets his brother, Simon. Simon's name meant in the scriptures, it meant small stone or pebble. But when Simon starts following after Jesus, we see in John 1.42, Jesus gives him a new name to go by. What's his new name? Peter. Peter means rock or boulder. Why did Jesus do that? Because names in scripture typically come with a, a very unique purpose. And so with Peter, his new name here, Jesus was reminding him of what he was calling him to do, that Peter was going to be a strong, firm leader in the, the, the rising up and the building of the church. I've joked about this before. It's the best joke I got in my, my pocket, y'all. My name Aaron means, y'all remember, mountain, right? So when my parents named me, they were thinking of my strong, formidable figure that I would develop later on in life, right? When you think of me, you think of a mountain. Ha, I thought that was funnier. Anyways, <laughs> seriously though, I'm pretty sure that my parents grabbed a name book and Aaron is A-A-R-O-N, so it was like the first name on the first page and that's just what they went with, I think, right? So names typically have meaning or reputation, but second, names are associated, this is important, with character. Your name is coupled with your character. So when Jesus says, your name be honored as holy, how are we to pray? Hey, God, I want your name to be associated with holiness. So, Lord, how I live today, can you help me live through the lens of how holy you are? Lord, as I'm working today, I want it to be done through the lens of your holiness. When people observe my life and they interact with me, Lord, I pray that how I live would not diminish who you are. I pray, Lord, that how I live, I would live in such a way that your holiness is lifted up among everything else, that your holiness would be first and foremost. We want the name of God to be made big, not the names of ourselves. We don't want the way that we live to 
defame the name of Jesus. And notice, after we pray that, you can read in verses 3 and 4 that everything else we pray is done through the lens of God's holiness. You can read through there. Lord, I want to live in a way that brings you glory. And in that, help me be dependent upon you. Lord, forgive me where I fall short. Let me live in a posture of forgiveness. Keep me from temptation. Why do we pray those things? Because we want to live lives that bring glory to God. And I don't want to do anything that would defame the name of Jesus. I don't want to harm the reputation of God. What's the second foundation here, the second goal? It's God's glory and the expansion of the kingdom. The expansion of the kingdom. Look at verse 2. Whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored is holy and your kingdom come. Where's Jesus directing our prayers? Foundation level stuff. First off, we, we not only pray from a relationship, we not only pray for the glory of God, but when we talk about the expansion of the kingdom, your kingdom come, we need to be praying for the salvation of people to the glory of God. One of the first prayers that you and I should pray every single morning is that God would use us to lead someone else to faith in him. Did you all know that we're plan A and God doesn't have a plan B? The Bible said so. That God, we are his avenue and the conduit through which the gospel is going to get into the world. And do you know that if you and I choose to wake up every day and pray, God, would you use me to introduce somebody else to Jesus? That's one of the most dangerous prayers that you can pray as a follower of Christ. Do you know that? Because here's why. You pray that prayer, and God's probably going to answer it. But I think, and maybe this is just me, that when I wake up, sometimes I'm too afraid to pray that prayer. Maybe sometimes I'm too afraid to pray, God, would you use me to share the gospel with someone else? The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord doesn't delay his promise as some understand delay, but he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. The heart of God and the foundation of our prayers should be that people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And here's how we pray that. God, would you use me to do it? You know, if you start your prayers, not with your problems, but the salvation of people that don't know Jesus yet, it's gonna change the way you pray. It changes your focus and your attention onto the right things. Here's the second thing when we think about his kingdom coming as we begin to close. We pray for the salvation of people, but we also pray for the return of Jesus. Let's be honest this morning. There's days, and I, maybe this is you too, I believe that it is, where you look around and you see the brokenness of the world, and this is what I sometimes pray when I wake up in the morning. Lord, would you just come back and fix this mess because I'm real tired of it? Anybody else? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm not Christian enough. I don't know. Lord, would you just come back and fix this mess because I'm really tired of it? Lord, would you just come clean it up and make it right because I know your word says you will. Lord, and if it was today, I'd be okay with that. I think of Romans 8, 18, where Paul said, I consider the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's gonna be revealed to us. When we pray, we pray for the salvation of people. We just flat out pray, Jesus, would you come back and fix things? Would you come back and set up your eternal kingdom? Lord, we're ready to go. Whenever you're ready to come, we'll be ready when waiting. Lord, just come back and fix it. I met with a friend this week. I thought this was so good. This really spoke to me. He just was dealing, man, just some stuff, just life. It was like he was just being beaten from every single corner. And honestly, things that um, if most of us had to endure, it would probably break us. And as he's sharing with me, and I, again, in those moments, you don't have words to say. You just listen. He looked across the table at me, and he looked at me after he shared just, just junk and brokenness and so much stuff. He looked at me and said, Aaron, it's going to be okay, though, right? It's going to be okay, though, right? 
And I looked at him and I'm like, I don't know. I, I really don't know if it's going to be okay. Because there's, here's the thing, Pastor Joe and I were talking about it. Scripture does not promise us that it's going to be okay. Scripture nowhere tells us that the struggles of this world will soon pass. Scripture doesn't say that, that things are just, oh, just keep holding on, it's going to get better, tomorrow will be a brighter day. It doesn't say that. And I looked at him and I said, I don't know. I said, life's hard. And I don't know why you're having to go through all of this stuff, and I don't know if it's ever going to be okay. I don't know. And I love how he responded. Talk about faith. Talk about praying your kingdom come. He said, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. He said, you know, if I'm lucky, if I'm lucky, he said, I've lived a hard life. If I'm lucky, he said, I've got probably 30 years or so left on this planet. He said, and then if I live a long, full life, Jesus will call me home and I'll be with him forever. He said, that's what I mean. It's going to be okay. It's going to get better. What a perspective. Lord, I'll serve you with everything I have while I'm here, but your kingdom come. Lord, when you're ready to come back, I'm ready. But until then, I'll serve you. My home's in heaven, but I'll serve you while I'm here. But Lord, I do pray that your kingdom would come sooner than later. I love the way Billy Graham phrased it before he passed away. He said, one day you'll hear that Billy Graham has died. He said, don't you believe it? On that day, I'll be more alive than ever before. Listen, he said, I've just changed my address. We pray for the kingdom of God to come. So what's the foundation of prayers that we see in the very first part here of Luke 11, the model prayer? Jesus said, our Father. It's the reminder for you and I that the reason we have access to God is because we have a relationship with God. Then what's he say? Your name be honored as holy, that we live and we work because we want to see the glory of God expanded and made bigger. So God, would you help that be the focus of my life? And then what's the last thing he says? Your kingdom come. Lord, would you save people and would you use me? But God, I am begging you, would you come back soon? Jesus, would you return? So what do we do when we encounter stuff like this in the scriptures? I, I, end of my notes, I just left blank this week. I'm like, God, what's the application when you learn about prayer, right? There's not a question to be answered. There's not something to text in. There's not a paper to fill out. What's the application? I want us to just pray for a minute. Let's just pray. And I, I would ask you in this moment as our praise team leads us that we don't pray for stuff we need. But we pray for the glory of God and the expansion of the kingdom this week. God, help me live in such a way that your glory is big. Dangerous prayer. And Lord, would you use me to share the hope of the gospel with someone this week? That's what we pray. And so just as we've been doing the last several weeks as the praise team comes, if you would like to pray at the altars down here, please excuse these bags of food. You can come down here and do that. Wherever you are, you can stand and your prayer can be this song if that's what you see fit. But I'd love for us to just take the next few minutes and just pray as a church family and put into practice what we see here in Luke chapter 11. Let me pray for us as we transition into the praise team leading us. God, we love you. Father, thank you for your word. God, as we said in the beginning, we, we need less of a how-to on prayer, and we just need to pray. So God, I pray just in these next few moments, Lord, that you could just help our 
um, distractions to just cease for a minute. God, whether we take the posture of being on our knees or standing or whatever that looks like for each one of us, that, God, we would simply pray. What a privilege we have as followers of Jesus to have access to you. What a privilege. So, God, I pray as we do every week, Lord, that you would hear our voices. God, that you would tune and incline your ear to to listen to us in this moment. And, Father, we know that you will because of what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.